you for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present an encore presentation of Carmelite Conversations. Welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria. I actually have a special guest in the studio with me today. Frances is away on vacation. We wish her our best, and of course, uh, I'd invite you all to keep her in your prayers as her and her family travel to Florida. She'll be back with us next week. But this week, I have the great pleasure of bringing back into the studio Deacon Rusty Baldwin, a member uh, both of the Diocese of Cincinnati, where he serves as a deacon, and a member of the Carmelite community here in Dayton, Ohio, uh, someone who I actually have known personally for a number of years. So great to have you back in the studio with us, Rusty. Well, thank you so much, Mark. It's a real pleasure to be here, and I'll uh, try and do uh, Francis justice. <laughs> I'm sure you will. I know she'll be listening. She'll have comments for both of us. And they're always they're always things worth listening to. Uh, we have actually a um, an interesting topic I think for today. You know, Francis and I each week spend a great deal of time talking about the charism of the Carmelite community, which is prayer, contemplative prayer, and we refer to ourselves as apostolic contemplatives, those who live in the world and yet are called to a deep contemplative experience of God, and. For this week alone, I think we want to focus on the other half of that equation, and it's what we call the work or uh, the obligation of service, our apostolic role as contemplatives in the world, and the um, call to serve our brothers and sisters through acts of charity uh, and works of mercy and a host of other ways that we practice this. And Deacon Baldwin, you'd be a great a spokesperson for this uh, as deacon uh, because, of course, the diaconate is defined by the virtue of service and by the call to service. I'm going to ask if we can um, first that we would begin, as we do each week, our conversation in prayer, and then I'd like to ex- explore a little more deeply this call to service. Would you lead us in prayer? Absolutely. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we come to you tonight to learn about serving, serving you and your people. Lord, you yourself provide the most glorious example of humble service, for you stepped down from your heavenly throne to serve those who did not know you, and even those who hated you. Lord, you have given us, the saints, and most especially the Blessed Virgin Mary and St. Joseph, her beloved spouse's guides. May your grace and their prayers kindle in us a burning desire to serve you according to your holy will, whatever the cost. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name Father, of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you, uh, Deacon Rusty. I um, uh, was excited when you accepted my invitation to join me this week, and, and uh, I thought about for a while what we might have a conversation about. Um, and it didn't take long to fall on this topic of service. One, because uh, I'm not unfamiliar with the diaconate and uh, uh, some of um, what the diaconate is defined by and what you're called to. Uh, I looked at the diaconate myself at one point, as you know, but I wasn't tall enough to pass the test, so I wasn't allowed in. Uh, no, at this time, it wasn't right for me. But um, Lord willing, it may be something that I will be called to at a, date, a later stage in my life. Um, but of course, you've been actively involved in 
the ministry for some time, and um, it's a great place for us to begin this conversation in the context of holy orders Mm -hmm. and that order which is called uh, specifically to this idea of service. We have some references from the Catechism that I want to draw from, but I want to let you first sort of reflect on your own call to the diaconate and what it meant uh, to adopt the role and the responsibility of service. Well, uh, I'm happy to do that, Mark, and thank you. Um, the uh, As with so many things that uh, uh, are manifest themselves from a desire to serve God, the calls come in various ways, and uh, uh, many times it's uh, you know just an interior urging that we think, you know, I feel like I need to do something for God. I need to serve God in a way that uh, I haven't heretofore done. And that was kind of the manifestation of my call to the diaconate. I didn't quite know what it was, uh, but through the... Uh, uh, um, Interacting with the larger community through prayer and through uh, discussing things with uh, with my wife, and uh, uh, just felt this urge to uh, go ahead and step out in faith and see whether or not this might be the way God was calling me to serve His people. And you know, we talked about contemplative prayer uh, and how that is our charism as. Uh, Carmelites. And I think there's a very natural extension from contemplative prayer to this call to service because, frankly, it's a natural manifestation of contemplation is that the desire to serve God, to do his will in whatever way he calls us to. And so uh, uh, I think contemplation leads us to service. And if it if we stay in contemplation alone, uh, then we haven't taken the full steps that we need to move forward in order to uh, 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 fulfill God's will in our lives. Yeah, I, I want to stay on this theme because I think you're right with regard to our call as a Carmelites. Uh, of course, um, the call is to contemplative prayer, but even St. Teresa teaches us that that call to contemplative prayer is not for ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Um, she she talks about, you know, our, our knitting ourselves little cocoons of... Uh, of prayer and protection within the the monasteries or the Carmels. And this is not what we're called to. We are called to be Christ in the world. And I want to talk about Christ's role as servant, but um, keeping for the moment on the theme you brought up about the diaconate, you know, I draw from the the Catechism of the Catholic Church, 1570, these words. Deacons, specifically now deacons, share in Christ's mission and grace in a special way. I think that's a powerful sentence in and of itself. The sacrament of holy orders marks them with an imprint, character, if you will, which cannot be removed and which configures them to Christ, who made himself the deacon, according to the catechism, the deacon or the servant of all. Uh, This is how we refer to our Savior. Among other tasks, it is the task of deacons to assist the bishops and priests in the celebration of the divine mysteries, above all the Eucharist, in the distribution of Holy Communion, including uh, distributing um, for those who may not be able to attend services, a, a, a very powerful ministry. Correct. In assisting at and blessing marriages, in the proclamation of the gospel, and preaching. I've heard you preach, and you're, you're wonderful at uh, conveying the Lord's message. In presiding over funerals and in dedicating themselves to various ministries 
of charity. This is the very definition of, uh, of the diaconate. I want to stay with that for a moment before we talk about the lay community and what they're called to. Uh, but really, and I remember this from my brief exposure to the diaconate training, the idea, the theme of service is what resonated through the whole experience of being called to the diaconate. And that manifests itself, especially if you look back to the origins of the diaconate, which find themselves in the New Testament in Acts 6. If you look at the story, uh, uh, the apostles were serving a a community that was growing uh, quite a bit uh, in the early days, and they found themselves spending a lot of time serving at table, as they say in the gospel. Uh, And they said, look, it's not right for us to serve at table uh, and neglect our prayers which I think is a very, uh, very powerful, uh, powerful statement. We need men who are worthy that can come and do this important service and leave us to what our proper role is in the church. And so they selected seven uh, at the beginning. And so that is our charism. Our charism is to assist the priests and the bishops and to do Many of the things that, that uh, uh, especially in today's church community, there's just such a, a need for uh, this auxiliary role, if you will, uh, to do the things that the priests cannot just be by virtue of the fact that there is not enough of them out there. I think that's so true, <clears throat> and the Holy Spirit has uh, great insight in understanding the movement of the church and the movement of the people of the church. You know, we see it's not... Uh, uh, I think unknown that we have a priest shortage in many dioceses across the country. That is certainly true here in the Diocese of Cincinnati. We have a number of parishes uh, or, or priests, if you will, that are assuming responsibility for more than one parish, mm-hmm. sometimes more than two. Um, and so this uh, increase in the ministry of the diaconate over the last, say, 25 or 30 years, I think is a natural outgrowth of um, a, a sort of a, a delegation of the responsibilities, though in no way less important, uh, but fulfilled in a different uh, capacity of holy orders, that being the diaconate. And I know um, beyond yourself, I know a number of deacons, and I'll tell you, they're some of the busiest people that I know mm-hmm. uh, throughout the course of the day. The ministry that they're involved in has them going from the hospital one day to a gravesite the next, back to the church for a marriage, uh, visiting the sick in their home and so forth, administering communion in the home. Um, they tend to be very busy men, uh, all cases obviously men, uh, but they tend to be very busy and very uh, active in their ministry of service. And I don't think anybody could assume that responsibility or uh, be called to that ministry who didn't have a great uh, sort of compassion mm-hmm. uh, for God's people and a willingness to adopt the moniker, the role, the the uh, the, the title of servant uh, uh, for, um, the, for the church and for uh, the community that they serve. Uh, a great ministry and one, I think, that... Um, uh, all of us on some level are called to, and I want to speak to that a little bit. But yours is unique in the sense that it's an ecclesiastical ministry. Mm-hmm. So I want to uh, both read the reference to this in the Catechism, then have you speak to it, if you will, Deacon. Intrinsically linked to the sacramental nature 
of ecclesial ministry is its character of service, entirely dependent on Christ who gives mission and authority. Ministers are truly slaves of Christ. That in and of itself is probably worthy of some conversation. In the image of him who freely took the form of a slave for us, because the word and grace of which they are ministers are not their own, but are given to them by Christ for the sake of others. They must freely become the slaves of all. Rusty, do you feel like the slave of all at times? <laughs> many times, many times. But it's a it's a beautiful slavery, if you will, uh, in the sense that it is for the sake of others. And I think that captures it. As ordained clergy, deacons, priests, and bishops uh, are there to build up, as it says here, the ecclesial community the ecclesial community being the body of Christ, which we are all part of, ordered in different ways, some in an ordained manner and some uh, uh, as, as lay people. Uh, and so that is the key to ecclesial ministry is that we are there to build up the body of Christ. And Pope Francis has said some really interesting things with regard to that, uh, two that I'll, uh, I'll recall uh, uh, just briefly. One is the pastor, and here he's talking specifically about the priestly ministry, should smell like their sheep. Okay, <laughs> very powerful metaphor, right? So what that means is that we are not separated from those that we serve, and when we, if we ever start separating ourselves from those that we serve, then we're missing the mark. The other is is that the pastor, the uh, uh, the clergy in general, is not a groomer of the sheep. That is, hey, we're not here as a self-licking ice cream cone, if you will. We have a mission. Our mission as clergy largely, not exclusively, but largely is to build up the body of Christ. For what purpose? Because the body of Christ has a purpose as well, has a mission, and that is to go out and evangelize the world. So we are servants of the servants of, uh, of the servants, much in the same way the Pope has said, hey, I'm the servant of the servants of God. Right. Well, uh, we have a mini role in that, if you will, that we are to arm, we are to equip, we are to provide for the laity to go out and evangelize the world. Because as we are baptized, we have a mission by virtue of our baptismal uh, uh, character. And I know we're planning on talking about that a little bit more later, but uh, the laity are not just receivers. Uh, they have a mission as well. Yeah, this idea of service, and I want to uh, key on the, the word uh, slave and slavery, because I, I think we don't want to just skirt over that as a, well, maybe that's not what Christ really meant, or that's not what the Scripture meant to say. We, in fact, uh, are to enslave ourselves to others. Now, that, that idea has fallen on very hard times in our modern society, right? We have a number of um, communities, if you will, um, who say, well, I'm not, you know, your slave. I'm not enslaving myself. I'm not accepting um, um, the call to obedience, or uh, I'm not here to minister to or to serve. I'm talking in the political sphere or uh, social sphere, uh, not, not so much in the church. Uh, but we have that mindset, I think, that uh, we we um, are somehow demeaned, we're mm-hmm. belittled, we're subordinated if we enslave ourselves. 
In fact, I think Christ would say it is through our very um, slavery to him and a giving of ourselves completely to others that we fulfill ourselves. Sure. This is how we become what Christ made us to be. Now, does that mean, oh, Christ just wanted us to be slaves? No, it is that uh, the less we dwell on self, the less we are self focused, the more we focus on the other, um, and, and slavery is the best analogy for that, we in fact become the very person that Christ created us to be. Part of the problem with regard to our notion of slavery in modern times is we have the uh, uh, historical reference of involuntary servitude, involuntary slavery, uh, and, and, and frankly unjust, as we all know, uh, from our recent American history. But there was a concept of slavery that was practiced back in Jesus' times to where a person would voluntarily bind themselves as a slave to someone uh, for life. You know, in a voluntary servitude. Uh, and so that is what Jesus is calling us to, is to bind ourselves to him in voluntary servitude out of love for him and say, my life is yours. And, and the so- responsibility then went both ways, didn't it? We, we, Francis and I had a conversation about this just a couple of weeks ago with regard to um, our um, uh, you know, uh, enslaving ourselves to the Blessed Mother, as mm-hmm. our forefathers did on Mount Carmel when they called themselves uh, the, the the brothers of uh, of uh, Mary, the b- brothers of the Blessed Mother, as the earliest Carmelites enslaved themselves. They meant that they not only gave themselves, consecrated themselves to Mary, but they accepted her patronage, mm-hmm. right? And the responsibility goes both ways in that Mary then uh, owns us, but takes responsibility for interceding, for intervening in our lives and assisting us in all of those uh, trials, tribulations, and even our joys and victories that, that come throughout the course of life. Mary will be our patron, our protector, our guide uh, throughout the course of that. So slavery goes both ways in that more admirable context, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, uh, it was incumbent upon the uh, master to provide for the servant. Right, exactly. Uh, and, and uh, uh, you know, certainly God abundantly provides us the grace that we need in order to carry out the mission we have bound ourselves to out of love. And I think that's something not to uh, not to be lost in this context. Well, we've talked about the diaconate and the very centerpiece of the character which is imprinted on the diaconate is that idea of service in, in um, um, conformity with Christ's own role, um, intrinsically linked then to ecclesiastical ministry. But there's a role for the lady here, too. Before we get to the Carmelite uh, concept of the apostolic contemplative, there's a role for the laity. And, and I want to reemphasize sort of first principles. Our call is to become servants of the servant. That is what a life of a Carmelite is. And our discussion, our conversation is largely how do we do that, but we're sort of laying the groundwork. We are all called to be servant. We are all called to be slave, slave in the more admirable way that Deacon Baldwin has described it. Um, We are all called to give ourselves over, and this is not just through our contemplative experience, but through our participation uh, in acts, in uh, fulfilling our own duties, duties and responsibilities in a loving manner. We'll talk about that briefly. But the laity 
um, uh, from the Catechism again, the laity can also feel called, or in fact be called, to cooperate with their pastors in the service of the ecclesial community for the sake of its growth in its life. This can be done through the exercise of a whole host of different ministries according uh, to the grace and the charisms which the Lord has been pleased to bestow on them. Now, if you're listening to us uh, uh, today, then you uh, may well be a member of a Carmelite community, and if so, God bless you, and we we uh, thank God for you, and we ask for your continued prayers. You may, uh, however, not be a member of either a Carmelite community or a secular third order community, uh, but no doubt you're a member of a parish uh, or some sort of a Christian community, and by virtue of that, you have a call to service. It is part of what uh, we were called to, a deacon, in our baptism. And I'm going to let you speak to that a little bit because I think um, what you were sharing with me earlier gives good context to this very call that we now, not as uh, those who have taken holy orders as you have, not just in the context of the ecclesial ministry, but as laity, we are called individually to support our parishes, to support our pastors, to support the people. Um, uh, of our communities in a uh, role as servant. Exactly. And just as uh, the clergy are imprinted with a special character which cannot be removed and configures them to Christ, laity and all of us, by virtue of our baptism, also have a special imprinted character that uh, uh, cannot be removed and is something that is permanent on our soul. And every time someone is baptized, there is an anointing with sacred chrism that is an anointing configuring the person being baptized as priest, prophet, and king. Uh, and that is uh, not just nice words, uh, uh, because, you know, I'll put you on the spot, Mark. What does a priest do? What is the priest's uh, principal role? Well, his principal role, of course, is to consecrate the Eucharist. So he offers the sacrifice. Mm-hmm. We also, uh, uh, as uh, lay people, have a sacrifice to make. And what is their sacrifice that they're called to make? They are offering themselves up to Christ. So we have a self-sacrifice, if we, if you will, that we are called to as uh, uh, what's called the common priesthood of the faithful. Uh, and I don't have the catechetical reference here, but uh, for those of you who uh, you know have not heard that there is a common priesthood of the faithful that is uh, very, uh, uh, very much in line with magisterial teaching. So we all have a priestly character, man, woman, child, uh, all are priestly. And that sacrifice that we offer to the Lord in union with the Eucharistic sacrifice is the sacrifice of our lives. Along with that, we are configured to a prophetic office. And so often we think of prophecy being, oh, well, that means I can foretell the future. Well, certain prophets did, but really the main characteristic of a prophet is the proclamation of the truth. Okay, So we, as prophets of God, are called to proclaim the truth to those that God brings into our lives by the way we live as well as by what we say. Yeah, I want to capitalize on that last point because uh, you said it so well. Um, so many of our listeners may now be flinching a bit and saying, well, are you saying I have to stand on the street corner, Deacon Baldwin, or do I have to go and preach, or do I have to you know, um, participate in a radio program and, and profess the word that way? Of course, uh, we all know, echoing St. Francis's words, um, you know, preach the gospel in, in uh, 
good times and bad or exactly how he says that, uh, only if necessary, you know, use words, right? Sure. The manifestation of our life, as you described it, uh, through our acts, through our compassion, through our mercy, through our uh, participation in not just the formal activity and outreach of a church or a, or a ministry or an organization uh, that, that may be uh, dedicated to charitable endeavors, but through our very lives, the way we engage in our, in our work, the way we engage our family members throughout the course of our day, that is the greatest manifestation. That is the greatest means of preaching the gospel. Sure, right? sure, and you're absolutely right. Right? But I do not want to give people an out in the sense that, uh, hey, well, okay, I don't have to say anything. No, some of us are called to, to speak, and, and at, at times we are all called to speak. Uh, and so while, no, we're not all called to be street evangelists, I would uh, say that some are. Okay, and if God's calling you to that, you need to answer the call. So, yeah, sometimes we do need to speak. We know God set up this perfect plan, and um, if we just spend a little time, we can come to understand it or at least understand our role within it. Again, our catechism tells us God wills this inter interdependence of creatures the sun and the moon the cedar and the little flower the eagle and the sparrow the spectacle of their countless diversities and inequalities tells us that no creature is self-sufficient creatures exist only in dependence now not independent but in dependence on each other to complete each other in the service of each other back to the theme that we echoed a moment ago where we said to fulfill ourselves it is an outpouring of ourselves in the context of service for the other, for all of the others, and that's our call. We want to uh, pick up on this theme and turn it back now, I think, specifically uh, to our role um, following the model of Christ, but our role as Carmelites. And we'll do that as soon as we come back from this short break. A reminder, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be right back.
listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you're currently listening to is a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations. Again, my guest in the studio today is Deacon Rusty Baldwin of the Diocese of Cincinnati, also a member of the Carmelite community here in Dayton, Ohio. We're speaking on the role of service in Carmelite spirituality. Now, in fairness, Deacon, we've spent a good deal of time talking about the role of service for all Christians. It's what we're called to as part of our baptismal promise. Uh, you brought us through an understanding of uh, our call to uh, those three uh, ministries where we model Christ, and we're going to talk about those again briefly. Uh, but the centerpiece of that is our call to service. And uh, I open the program by reminding our listeners that sometimes, um, and I fall victim to this myself, we think in the context of uh, Carmelite, therefore contemplative prayer, and we forget that there's an apostolic component, especially to the lay people, I might argue, but it's not uh, any less true for um, those who are uh, living in um, Carmel, either as uh, brothers or or, um, uh, deacons or, uh, uh, not deacons, but as um, friars or even hermits. Uh, There is nonetheless a call to minister uh, to the people of God. Now, I wanted to just quickly, uh, before we move on to this idea of missionary uh, uh, call, go back to our rule, the Carmelite rule of St. Albert, which, of course, defined for us, um, finally in 1226 when it was adopted, approved, um, the um, basic rule of our order, and we hold to this today. And from that rule I read, each one shall remain in his cell or near it, meditating day and night on the law of the Lord. Now, this is our contemplative call. We're very familiar with this. And watching in prayer. But then it goes on, unless otherwise justly occupied. And for some time I struggled with that, unless otherwise justly occupied. Well, that's our call to daily uh, activity, our call not only to uh, the fulfillment of our responsibilities of our station in life, uh, but also to support for our pastor, for our church, for uh, members of our community, and um, uh, blended with our contemplative call to prayer. The rule goes on um, a few paragraphs later. You shall do some kind of work that the devil may always find you occupied, lest through idleness he may gain an entrance into your souls. So right from our very rule in Carmel, we understand our call to an apostolic uh, responsibility, to a role of service for the people of God, service for um, our, our pastor and for our parish. But we also have this idea of a missionary role, Deacon. Uh, And I'm going to ask if you wouldn't mind reading uh, from the Catechism this next section, because I think um, it it speaks to what you had begun to touch on with regard to uh, our prophetic role and and carrying the gospel into the world. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, This is from uh, paragraph 852, Missionary Pass. The Holy Spirit is the protagonist, the principal agent of the whole of the Church's mission, It is he who leads the church on her missionary paths. This mission continues and, in the course of history, unfolds the mission of Christ, who was sent to evangelize the poor. So the church, urged on by the Spirit of Christ, must walk the road Christ himself walked, a way of poverty and obedience, of service and self-sacrifice even to death, a death 
from which he emerged victorious by his resurrection. So it is that the blood of martyrs is the seed of Christians. How well does this echo what we're hearing from our Holy Father right now? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think we're at a point in the church, Mark, uh, in our day and age, where we're having this outward turning. We have had, frankly, an inward focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and and uh, uh, proper though it was, I think we're at a turning point where we need to say, you know, we also have an evangel evangelical mission and we need to turn and evangelize those who haven't heard the good news uh again hearkening back to uh uh hearkening back to pope francis's uh, admonition to the priests and bishops uh we are not groomers of the sheep you know <laughs> yeah. we need to go out from the sheepfold and call those in and i would assert that that is not just a call to the priests but also by extension a call to the laity and say we are not to help and just be a groomer a, you know a groomer helper of the priests we go out in mission to the world. Well, and of course, two million plus showed up on the beach in Rio to hear this message. So uh, there seems to be a receptivity on the part of the people uh, and I think that's to understand in, that. That's inherent in our baptismal character. Even if we don't explicitly acknowledge that, that resonates within us because we have that mark of grace that says, yes, I need to be sharing this good news. I would say, Deacon, in fact, that there has been a large segment of our Catholic, I'll, I'll be that explicit and say Catholic community, that has been waiting for this message of uh, action, if you will, of sacrifice, yes, absolutely, of engaging the poor, uh, of engaging the needy, of engaging that segment of our population, even though he's been misinterpreted uh, to some extent, uh, on this, and and there are always going to be those who will twist the Holy Father's words in political ways that that uh, don't contribute to the dialogue. But even in the context of outreach to uh, those who may s- struggle with their sexual identity, mm-hmm. uh, this Holy Father has said we need to be a compassionate people. We need to be ministers of the gospel in a way. And I agree with you, this is is um, certainly every bit, if not more so, a call to the laity, but in a way that helps people understand that we are bringing a gospel of love, we're bringing a gospel of mercy, we're bringing a gospel of ministry to your needs, yes, but also one of truth, as you said before, speak the truth in love. Um, but we can't do that if we stay holed up in our parishes, if we stay holed up in our cells, if we stay holed up in our palaces. We're not going to carry this message of servant forward now this is a man who who walked uh, you know the poorest sections of 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 rio who has ministered to um the the um uh, sort of the outcast in the city of Rome. And he's living, as you've said before, he's living the gospel by his example. And I think we take a risk when we do that. Let's acknowledge that right up front. We take a risk that will be misunderstood. We take a risk that uh, people will say things about us that aren't true. Uh, but are we not then modeling Christ? Count it all joy when you suffer for Christ. A paraphrase of some things Paul's have, Paul has said in some of his uh, uh, New Testament uh, uh, letters. And so, yeah, we are called to step out and accept the fact that we'll be criticized for doing the right thing, accept the fact that we'll be misunderstood, even perhaps by those within the church. You know, I hope for our listeners... Um 
this may be uh, uh, touching a um, a heartstring, pulling on a heartstring for them. If, uh, for example, you feel you've been wondering, gee, what is my role in the church, and am I just to be, uh, you know, closed away in prayer every day, and that's my ministry? Uh, is there something else the Lord might be calling me to? Certainly, as a as a Carmelite, uh, a secular Carmelite. This idea of apostolic contemplatives, those who must nonetheless live in the world, carry the message of the gospel uh, into that world, regardless of where that may be for you. Um, and I think our Holy Father, not only modeling and, and living, but he's teaching us, he's showing us this, this path, this mission, what he... Uh, has as a vision for the church. I think uh, both of our uh, previous popes have been powerful in communicating their vision, not only in their words, spoken and written, but through their actions. And this pope seems to be no different in communicating at a time and in a place in history where it is so necessary that we carry the gospel into the far reaches of the world and into those places that it may not be so comfortable to be in. And we may feel a little uncomfortable with with the individuals who we encounter in those back alleys and in those hospitals and in those uh, places that, um, um, you know, uh, the gospel, the light of the gospel isn't often shed. And that's exactly what our Holy Father is calling us to, this idea of service. But it's not new. This model of service comes to us from our Lord and Savior. The model of the servant, of course, is Jesus Christ himself. And I'd like to uh, uh, take us back to that uh, priest, prophet, and king, because this falls right into our kingly character. That implies a ruling. That implies an ordering of our lives, which means that we are to live out our lives with a particular order uh, that uh, 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 brings all things regard to Christ into every aspect of our lives. A quote from Matthew twenty twenty eight: The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so that is our model of ruler. That is our model of kingship. That is the type of servant we are to be. And all of us are called to share in that uh, that kingly office, right? Again, drawing from the catechism, I'll let you read this section of the catechism uh, that talks specifically about um, our modeling Christ as king now. And what is what is the office of king? I'll let you read it. Okay, this is from paragraph 786. Finally, the people of God shares in the royal office of Christ. He exercises his kingship by drawing all men to himself through his death and resurrection. Christ, King and Lord of the universe, made himself the servant of all, for he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. For the Christian... To reign is to serve him, particularly when serving the poor and the suffering, in whom the church recognizes the image of her poor and suffering founder. The people of God fulfills its royal dignity by a life in keeping with its vocation to serve with Christ. It goes on to say the sign of Christ, uh, of the cross rather, makes kings of all those reborn in Christ and the anointing of the Holy Spirit consecrates them as priests so that apart from the particular service of our ministry, all spiritual and rational Christians are recognized as members of this royal race, sharers in Christ's priestly office. What indeed is as royal for a soul as to govern the body in obedience to God, and what is as priestly as to dedicate a pure conscience to the Lord and to offer the spotless offerings of devotion on the altar of the heart. So we can... 
engage in this very uh, explicit form of ministry to the poor, to the downtrodden, to, uh, as I said before, the widows, uh, which Paul spends a great deal of time counseling us to uh, support. Um, And our Holy Father is modeling exactly that behavior for us because Christ modeled it for all of us. We are called not simply to prayer. And again, I I, um, I caution uh, those of us who are Carmelites, and, and even myself and Francis, for the amount of time that we do spend talking about the necessity of prayer and transforming ourselves as we get ready, by the way, to um, uh, celebrate the Feast of the Transfiguration tomorrow. We know that our transformation in Christ comes in large measure by our engagement with him in conversation with him through prayer. But it, also, it is also the participation in his ministry that conforms us to his image and if we are as listeners if we are um, wondering what is our ministry what is our call what is it the Lord might be asking me to do of course prayer is the best process for discernment of that but rest assured and in fact as uh, Deacon Baldwin shared earlier um, let's not let ourselves off the hook I may be one of those people the Lord is calling to a ministry of my voice right Mm -hmm. Uh, whether that's in radio or speaking formally in my parish I may be one called to a ministry of writing. I may be one called uh, to a ministry of, of preaching on some level, but we're all called to participation in acts, in uh, formal uh, works of charity. Something in our church needs to be done. Something in our community. Uh, it, there's a need that is not fulfilled yet, and we are being called to it. The Lord will reveal it to us if we seek him in prayer. Well, there are a couple of other critical references, uh, Deacon Baldwin, I want to just pull out before we talk about our own um, uh, Mother Teresa, St. Teresa of Avila, uh, and her guidance to us. What is her call to us, uh, the discoused Carmelite community, and our role for service? Um, It will be good, St. Luke says in um, 1237, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at table, and will come and wait on them. Well, we're continuing on this theme of Christ as servant, and it's amazing to understand that though the Lord calls us today uh, to service, when he returns, it will not be um, uh, to be served, but it will be to serve us again. Mark, we had talked a little bit before the uh, program about the uh, first, uh, uh, those first in the Carmelite life on the mountain, you know, and realizing that they had a call to uh, not stay on the mountain. And I think that's an apt metaphor for us because we love to go up and top and have those mountaintop experiences with Christ. And those are things that energize us, those things that are recharge us. But we, in this life, are called to come back down the mountain and meet the people at the mountain, at the foot of the mountain, and serve them in that way. And so uh, I think that's important to uh, bring out because God does expect us to live out our prayer life, live out that manifestation of what we're called to in works of mercy. Well, and in fact, St. Teresa says, I won't uh, have the exact reference, but she describes uh, that there uh, are appropriate times for us to be called out of the contemplative experience with, with God, and those times are to engage in works of charity. And when I shared that with you just prior to the... Um, 
uh, airtime, uh, you reminded me that that contemplative experience and that apostolic endeavor of works of charity or or um, serving the poor, really, as we go further and further down this path, there is no distinction. Mm-hmm. They become one. Say, say something about that. They absolutely do, because as our prayer life grows deeper, as we get closer to God, there was no difference in Christ's life between the times that he was uh, uh, feeding the 5,000 and those times he was in prayer. It was all one. And we can reach that type of state through his grace. I mean, uh, uh, Brother Lawrence is a perfect example of that. What did he say? Uh, something to the effect of, there's no difference to me whether I'm in prayer or uh, cleaning working the, in the, working kitchen, in yeah. the kitchen, cleaning the pots and uh, banging around. It's all serving God. And so it's a natural manifestation of our contemplative life that we will want to, in love, express that love that we have to the Father and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, to those that He loves. And so there is a caution here um, that we wouldn't want to fall into the trap of saying, as some as some do, um, either becoming overly engaged in works, uh, as though that were exclusively the manifestation of of uh, you know our prayer life or God working uh, through us. Uh, we have to have a balance, as you've described, and we also don't want to assume that all works in and of themselves are prayer unless they uh, proceed from prayer and proceed from love. We're going to use some quotes from uh, St. Therese of Lisieux uh, a little bit later, and those describe, I think, aptly this idea that everything we do must be infused with the love of God. Do we have to sit there and intellectualize, oh, I'm doing this for God, oh, I'm doing this for God? No, it's a natural outgrowth, right? Mm -hmm. When we do things for the people we love, whether it be our parents or our spouse or our children, we don't have to sit there and remind ourselves that we're doing it out of love. We, you know, our wives, uh, my wife anyway, cooks a meal for me, and I know she does that out of love. She's genuinely concerned that I would be pleased with it. When I do chores for her around the house, I'm genuinely uh, trying to express my love, but but do it in a way that I think will please her. This is the context. But that only happens if it proceeds from that contemplative experience uh, that you talked about, and then eventually those become uh, one in the same. It becomes second nature to us. And as with so many things in our faith, it's not either or, you know, you do works, I pray. No, it's both and. Both and. Both right. and. Well, St. Teresa has some good words for us on this topic. I want to just uh, read those to you, and then we'll talk about uh, a reflection by Father Ernest Larkin, somebody whose uh, writings we've used in the past. St. Teresa says, Christ has no body now but yours. And we could each, uh, our listeners, each uh, see uh, our, our uh, beloved St. Teresa of Avila speaking these words to us. Christ has no body now but yours, no hands, no feet on earth but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ looks compassion into the world. Yours are the feet with which Christ walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which Christ blesses the world. We cannot know, St. Teresa of Avila says, whether or not we love God, although there are strong indications for recognizing that we do love him. But we can know whether we love our neighbor. This is actually directly from the Fifth Dwelling Places uh, 3.8. Here, Father Larkin says, uh, It is not a question of feelings. Our human love is not a question primarily of emotion, of feelings. It's primarily a matter of deeds 
not feelings, and the deeds in question are the gospel fruits which tell the good tree from the bad. Such fruits are more easily discernible in the area of fraternal charity than in the love of God, because they are visible, they're tangible, they're verifiable. So Father Larkin's telling us, Deacon Baldwin, that it is through these very acts performed in love that we truly manifest our love of God. We say we love God. What do our actions say? And we have a perfect example of that with our Lord in the garden before the crucifixion, right? How did Jesus feel before the crucifixion? Our Lord was sweating blood, you know, but his act of love is an act of the will. And that's so, so much what we uh, confuse nowadays in our modern culture. We do think love is a feeling. No, it's an act of the will. Despite how I feel, I will do this act of charity for you for your good, not for me. And it may be um, uh, done in obedience. It may be done uh, out of genuine compassion. It may be done, um, uh, you know, as um, as a sense of obligation. But nonetheless, it's done. Mm-hmm. We engage. We do what we know the Lord would have us do, right? Um, we do what we know um, would reveal God's love to the other, even if we don't feel it, or even if we're not particularly appreciated uh, for what we are doing. In fact, in that case, I would say most especially, are we manifesting God's love? And if we do have this feeling of consolation, then that's just an extra gift of grace from God. You know, that's a, that's a wonderful manifestation of doing the right thing, but it's uh, it's not an essential part of loving. James tells us in 2.26 from his letter, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. And of course, this is the, the classic um, um, verse, which sometimes Catholics get criticized for, uh, for suggesting that we somehow can work our way into uh, either heaven or an experience of faith. Uh, but it is the outgrowth. It is the fruit, as Father Larkin said, of our love. We as individuals, Carmelite or, or a Catholic or Christian in general, have to have a ministry. We have to be involved in something. Our prayer, even though um, uh, even those contemplatives who live behind the walls engage in prayer um, as a ministry. Uh, we've talked so many times about uh, Therese of Lisieux, who had great compassion for uh, those who were doing missionary work. She desired to do that very work. She is today the patron of missions because for her, her prayer was uh, an act of, uh, uh, of service, and she worked uh, to support them in many other ways, of course, letter writing and and um, uh, giving what means she could, financial means she could, um, her sacrifices, which she gave freely and willingly. These weren't exclusively her contemplative prayer experience. There were so many other ways that she engaged in them. But even, even um, in that context, uh, the work uh, was part of her expression of her faith and also her love for God. And it's interesting with uh, James, if you read on a little further, he'll use that either or both and context. He'll say, well, you might say, I have faith, you have works. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, well, you know, show me your works without faith and I'll show you my faith through Through my my works. works. Exactly. You know, today we have a crisis, I would argue, in in much of our society. We heard about today, uh, today specifically, uh, uh, penalties handed down for sports figures who, um, uh, it's now known, uh, took advantage of... uh, 
um, you know, enhanced drugs to increase their performance. We have real crises in politics. We have crises in uh, leadership within business. Certainly, we can identify, even in our own church, crises of leadership within the church. Um, there is a great wealth of literature um, that I think marries up very nicely with exactly what we're talking about, the gospel principles that we're talking about, much of it written by a Robert Greenleaf, and it's called uh, Servant Leadership. Uh, Mr. Greenleaf wrote a series of books on this theme of servant leadership, and I just want to read briefly a few comments. This is where we talk about, Deacon, where um, you know the, the practical application of these gospel principles into everyday life. You know, I say this myself oftentimes, you know you're familiar with my work, um, that, that I have a role as a leader in my business, but nonetheless, um, I also have a responsibility to be a servant uh, to the people who am I lead. And this is true for everyone, whether you're involved in, as I say, sports, business, politics, religion. Uh, if you have a role as leader, you are still called to be servant. Robert Greenleaf uses this phrase, the servant leader is first a servant. It begins, he says, with the natural feeling that one wants to serve, to serve first. Then conscious choices bring one to aspire to lead. That person is sharply different from one who is leader first, perhaps because of the need to assuage an unusual power drive or to acquire material possessions. The leader first and the servant first are two extremely different personality types. Between them, there are shadings and blends that are part of an infinite, infinite variety of human nature. The difference manifests itself in the care taken by the servant first to make sure that the other person's highest priorities and needs are met and being served. The best test, the difficult to administer, is to do those served, um, I'm sorry, is do those served persons grow? Do they, while being served, become healthier, wiser, freer, more autonomous, more likely uh, to be independent? And what is the effect of the least privilege in society? Will they benefit uh, the least from from these activities? This is a, a a great transition, I think, to as I say, these gospel principles into the practical everyday world where so many of us live and work. Mm -hmm. And I may say, well, it's difficult for me to carry the gospel into society. Uh, I think Robert Greenleaf would would demonstrate. Uh, that it's not, in fact, it, it is the very principle that makes us uh, true leaders in society. Well, I uh, I want to close our uh, conversation, Deacon, first of all, with thanks. Um, this quick verse, though, um, the Master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your Master's happiness. We are called to a life of service, our gospel uh, called the model that is given to us by by Christ and I think the message from our Holy Father today echoes all of that we must combine our contemplative experience of prayer with an apostolic um, uh, form of ministry and service and I thank you for sharing your thoughts and your ideas with us I'd like to ask you if you would to please close, close us uh, in prayer today I'd be very happy to Mark and thank you for the opportunity to be on the show um, this closing prayer I'd like to use as a uh, uh, as a basis for this prayer. Some of the words that we heard today uh, for Saint Teresa from Saint Teresa of Avila, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Dear Lord, you have no hands or feet on earth. We are those for you. You have no eyes through which the world will see compassion 
accept ours. And we ask that we may be your hands with which the world is blessed through you. Lord, as we strive to live out this servant leadership, this uh, 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 call to be Christ to the world, may we make abundant use of the grace you have made available to us. We ask this through Christ our Lord, and I ask the Lord to bless all those listening in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Deacon Baldwin. Uh, again, a reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Until next week, God bless. to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations.